Good morning, everyone. Um, I have to tell you, I had so much fun writing this sermon. Not only am I passionate about this topic of community, but I have weaved this so much into the core of my being and my daily life that it was only natural that I wrote this in community. So I just wanna take a moment to honor the people, my people that have listened to me, who have read my rough draft, who had added input, but also I wanna make sure that this is honored for you all, my church. You guys are this space for me to feel safe to practice this art of community. So, if I haven't met you, my name is Jessica, and I am the Leadership and Community Development Minister, and I'm focused on building community spaces for our community groups, our race and belonging cohort, our women's cohort, and different leadership communities in our church. And so, yes, you could say that I am all about this particular topic of community. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I have been here serving on this staff and alongside you for the last seven years. And so it is my joy to be with you this morning. So we're in a series called Future Church, where we are looking at the challenges that face us in our culture and teaching how a practice from a rule of life helps orient us in a way to follow Jesus faithfully in our cultural moment. So today I wanna talk about a community of tight-knit loving relationships in a culture of individualism through the practice of community. That is a sermon in and of itself. (laughs) So with that, let's read our passage of scripture today. Turn your Bibles to Romans 12. It says, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. You can skip down to verse 9. It says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love, and honor one another above yourselves. Let me pray for a time. Lord, I pray for divine meeting with you this morning. Would you please help us to be aware of how you are moving and working in our lives and in the lives of others around us? I ask that you give each of us a place where we can have open hearts to learn with your intention for tight-knit loving relationships, and we trust you, God. You are a safe place for us to be honest and to bring our whole selves to you this morning. Please, you owe all of my capacities to speak truth and encouragement to our church. And we thank you for the ability to freely gather together. Amen. So, the English word community reminds me of this beautiful Korean word, chong. This is a word that is really hard to define, not only because of the limitations of English, but if you ask any Korean, it's often difficult for them to describe this uniquely kind of Korean love. However, they can give you many examples of how this shows up in their lives. 
It's centered around a communal aspect of love, attachment, and affection towards one another. And this connection is often termed a type of sticky love. It's where the giver almost always assumes or and anticipates the needs of the receiver. The receiver never explicitly expresses a desire, yet the giver notices the need and gives generously. The mantra can be described or translated as, you didn't say it, but I know, and this gift is for you. My friend Allison gave me a beautiful illustration of how this shows up. So let's imagine that we are studying together in Seoul. Now, you don't speak Korean very well, and sometimes you dine out at a local diner. Maybe the owner gets really curious and asks you really, really personal questions, like, where are you from? How old are you? Are you married? Why not? And, <laughs> and why are you here? And so on. And so we aren't necessarily comfortable with those questions and direct inquiries, but we brush it off and answer it and go about our day. Now, some time passes, and one day you come back to the diner. And to your surprise, the owner gives you a birthday cake. You're stunned. She remembered your birthday when she asked you all those seemingly personal questions. In this scenario, there isn't a need expressed by you, the receiver, but the giver assumes the need and gives generously. This is the form of shong that is very particular to Koreans. It's a beautiful expression of how community can be lived out, and this is a lot like Jesus. He knows what we need and gives freely and perfectly to us, and often without us even asking or knowing. So we can ask ourselves, what if this was the kind of community we found in and among our church? What if this was the kind of community we experienced as we followed Jesus? Is it even possible? Or maybe... You hear this and it evokes a deep longing to experience this type of love and affection. Or maybe you're experiencing a disconnect and feeling more alone than ever before. And you may even be thinking, there is no way that this is even possible. I have never experienced anything like this. Despite a global pandemic, our sinking feelings of isolation and dark aloneness I would say have always been there long before COVID, but those aches have just had time to bubble up and come to the surface. It's because we live in one of the most radical individualistic cultures in the world, and it is destroying God's intention for connection and interconnectedness. Joseph Hellerman in his book, When the Church Was a Family, describes radical individualism as, we in America have been socialized to believe that our own dreams, goals, and personal fulfillment ought to take precedence over the well-being of any group to which we belong. The immediate needs of the individual are more important than the long-term health of the group. Now, I would also say that America has deep roots in its foundation, otherwise known as the pursuit of happiness. And as a result of this grand social experiment around radical individualism, it shows up throughout history, systemically, culturally, and all the way down to us in our everyday lives. For example, I read this interesting study from San Diego State University that between 1960 and 2008, the rise of the singular pronoun is consistent of what has been described as an increasing level of individuality. That means the number of uses of I or me increased 
42%. And instances of we or us declined 10% in hundreds of thousands of American books, fiction, nonfiction, and other publications. So maybe you wouldn't think of yourself as an individualist, but what if I switched that word and replaced it with autonomy? One of the ways autonomy shows up in our everyday lives is how we find ourselves thinking about everything in terms of us. Or another way autonomy shows up is how we don't want someone else's decisions to affect us. We want our so-called freedom. We want to be able to choose our way without being responsible to or responsible for anyone. You know, maybe you're still struggling to try and put a finger on how this shows up in your own life. So like I mentioned before, I wrote this sermon as a practice of community. So what better way than take this to what I call the Instagram streets and ask the question, <laughs> how does individualism show up in your personal life right now? Now, there were so many that you guys answered. They were so fun. I don't have time to go through all of them. Might save that for the podcast that you guys can listen to. But I picked some of the top themes that really struck me. The first one is, when I'm at Korean barbecue, and I literally take all the brisket, but know it's wrong and unchristian. <laughs> yes, we laugh at this, but so many of you answered with like situations and um, like explanations around food. And so I think it's so important culturally. A lot of you answered that are, were raised in the US and most of you that answered to are not from the US. So there is a stark difference. But I think this perspective is key here in the example. We can take a moment to think about how mealtimes at your dinner table looked growing up or how they look now. This does have roots of in, uh, family of origin in there. So we can ask ourselves, were we rushing around grabbing food because maybe we grew up thinking that we weren't sure where food or when we were gonna eat was gonna come up next? Or maybe you didn't sit with others and you ate alone. Or maybe you ate on the run. It's really fascinating how something as simple as a mealtime can give us an example of individualism. Another example I got on how individualism shows up in our daily life is number two. I start viewing people as social capital or relational capital. I have a temptation to see community and people as transactions, and I want highly accessible community, but only when it's convenient to me. Yeah, it's intense. <laughs> You're probably thinking, there's no way someone wrote this, but there was. There was many, many themes for that. You know, and we can go further on and ask ourselves, if this is how we see people, would people consider us good friends? Another way individualism shows up is number three. What I do for a career, what I want out of life, and what my life goals are all revolve around me. We can ask ourselves and challenge ourselves, do we exist to see something larger than me flourish, even if it means I have to disadvantage myself for the sake of the bigger cause? We can go up further into the deep dive if we refer back to two weeks' sermon ago on generosity. Another individualism example is number four. This is a good one. Dating in isolation or secret. This shows up in an individualistic sentiments like the need to make this dating thing happen for me. The temptation to control how you find and attract potential partners. 
Maybe it is the isolation or secret factor of not telling who you're meeting, who you're texting, or how you're choosing to date. And maybe you're dating someone that you know your community may not approve of, or maybe they check off all the boxes to you, but you're still, fear, uh, you're still fearful of introducing them to your closer friends. This is shame, friends. It moves us closer into isolation, which shows up as radical individualism. Now I wanna double click on a personal story about how shame and rejection shaped my dating life and how it revealed these individualistic tendencies and how I've healed from it. So let's talk about some of the things people have told me in the dating world, okay? I've been told, number one, I can't believe you're not married. I wonder what is wrong with you. So yes, it's brutal, <laughs> yes. So this caused me you know, to question, was I somehow unlovable or unworthy of being chosen in some way? Shame and rejection caused me to further isolate. Someone once told me, I don't date older women. So I recently turned 40 this year, and yes, I love my Asian genes because I don't look like it, but, <laughs> but now, you know, now I'm more than ever confident in my age and what the ways that God is working in my life, but before, it caused deep wounds and pain and shame that caused me to further isolate. I've also been told I don't date Asians. Now this one sends me <laughs> for a full range of emotions and trauma and rage and shame and rejection. And before it caused me to isolate thinking about racialized preferences. And usually all by myself. I would bottle that up and keep those sentiments to myself. It drove me further into aloneness. Or the opposite that I was told, I only date Asians. Now this has way more complex emotions that make me rethink sexualization of Asian women and how it plays out in today's culture. I don't have time to unpack all the things that I've learned from this, but the shame piece caused me to continue to isolate. And the last thing that I was told is, I don't like you like that, I just wanna be friends. That's the worst one of all sometimes. But the embarrassment, the shame, and rejection piece, that plunged me into feeling more alone than I had ever before. Here's my point. That rejection and vulnerability of something you deeply desire mixed with the pain of deep disappointment is one of the most heartbreaking things I've experienced in my adult life. And instead of confidence in God, I ran further and deeper into shame and rejection. Now, we all have our own versions of this. Maybe we're not dating right now, or maybe we're married, but shame and rejection show up in our lives. But the results are the same of that. It causes us to be tempted to run and pushes us into isolation. This feeling is codified in the Garden of Eden scene where Adam and Eve sin, and they are filled with shame and hide from each other and God. That is true isolation. And the healing came when I turn to my tight-knit loving relationships, instead of wallowing in my pain and disappointment, my tight-knit loving community moved me from believing that I had to work or manage or control people, and instead they joined me in processing, they helped me find healing with perspective, collective grief, and community support and care. They moved me from isolation and despair to confidence and trust. 
and I continue to turn to my tight-knit loving community. They've been with me every step of the way. They ground me in God's truth. They help me draw loving boundaries. They help me work through forgiveness. They listen and they change my perspective on what having hope looks like. And I would say I continue, they continue to give me a fuller perspective of what God might have for my entire life. And it's often not revolved around me. Praise God, yeah. <clears throat> so I can assuredly say that I've learned how to be more comfortable in my own skin than ever before. And I am more confident in my singleness than ever before. Yes, I still desire to be married, but I trust that with God, I can have a full, rich, vibrant life regardless. I have God and my tight-knit community to thank for this. So let's go in further of how more ways individualism shows up in our lives. We live in a time of life where the world is valuing individual happiness above everything. And because we value our personal happiness, our friendships are suffering. The average American in the past few years has gone from an average of 3.2 friends to 1.8 Studies go further to show that 40% of Americans have zero to one confidant. That is shocking to me, and let alone heartbreaking. Like, I'm asking myself, who are we going to process life with? How are we making wise decisions? That shame and rejection piece we just talked about, who is talking and speaking into moments like that? And what about pain? trauma, and suffering that we experience. We can say what is planted as individualism gets harvested as loneliness. In 2018, a study by the Surgeon General named Loneliness a growing public health crisis where it contributed to mental, emotional, and physical health and death rates. One study I found equated the effects of loneliness are the same as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Now we joke about how these sermons are like 20 sermons in one. The roots of individualism have its hand in aspects of tribalism, extremism. We can listen to last week's podcast on ideologies, but also individualism has staggering effects on environmentalism, climate change, social advocacy, and beyond. And this hasn't even tackled the effects and dark power of the digital age and technology. All of this rolls so deep. And these topics center all around our own preferences and our choices above the health, well-being, and longevity of the group as a whole. So we can pause for a second. Let's exhale and breathe because I had this tight knot that's now expanded to my entire body. And we feel the tension and we feel that ache. You know, we're left with this dark feeling that we long for connection and feel so alone and we don't know what to do about it. My friends, there is a soothing balm waiting for us. There is hope extended to us for those who follow Jesus and there is order and relief we can find by giving ourselves to tight-knit, loving relationships by the practice of community. We can stop and pause and let that good news sink in. There is a God who loves you, and he welcomes you into his family. He wants to be intimately connected with you, and he wants you to be connected to others. 
This is good news for the lonely individual. You have the love of God. And community is meant for the fullness of the gospel to be embodied together. In Romans 12, 4, it says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. His vision for the church is a family that is built around doing the will of God together. Our gifts are not just for us, but for the whole body and for the good of everyone. We can look at the way that scripture's written. It's often in a communal mindset that actually there's aspects that can only be realized when we're connected together. We are born into this sacred interconnected inheritance and that we are learning together how to be reparented into the family of God despite our earthly families and attachments. A personal example of how this shows up for me uh, is in my own family. I am an Asian American transracial adoptee and being adopted into a family at a young age and raised, I actually didn't know any different. I actually thought all kids were adopted that had many ethnicities in their, in their families. And so I have this, I mean, very shocking when I discovered it was different, but um, I have this real life tangible way of relating to what family can be defined as. My parents took the sacred responsibility of parenting a child, opening up their home and their hearts and all their rights and responsibilities to me as a child despite culture, ethnicity, or biological ties. And I think of the many families in our church now that are fostering and adopting, and I can't think of a more beautiful way to weave family into, into our community. You know, and we can all live into this. Maybe our option right now isn't to foster or adopt, but I would challenge you to pray about it and to think about it. <laughs> but we can all see and interact with one another as a family, whether it's in our CGs, our friends, our neighbors, the people that we meet on the street. We can all consider them family. So now, let's get practical, and this is my favorite part. <laughs> so we're posed with the problem that with individualism, we feel so alone. And we want to connect, and we don't know how to. Or maybe you're still struggling and you don't even know what tight-knit loving relationships are like or what they look like. So I want to share with you four things to help start us by how to cultivate tight-knit loving relationships. Number one, our posture. One of my favorite simple prayers is, God, you are God, and we are not Romans 12, 3 says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. One of our postures is humility. We have to be willing to trust God's version and vision for community, not our own. Our human minds have limitations, and yes, we all love the dream of community, <laughs> but dreams are not the real thing. We have to be aware that our ideas and dreams of community are often not the same as Jesus's. We are gloriously human, and we will let people down, and everyone and everything in this world will let us down. That is not meant to be a downer. 
That is a way for an invitation of freedom that it isn't up to us to build this type of community that Jesus is visioning for that. Another posture is honoring one another above ourselves. We can posture ourselves to be able to give and receive gifts freely, meaning we can be the ones to initiate and engage, or we can joyfully receive and love. In Romans 12, 9, it says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. And honor one another above yourselves. Individualism takes over really quick when we are sitting and waiting in expectation and entitlement that we feel like someone else should reach out to us or someone else should invite us and that we just need to sit and wait for opportunities to come to us. I would challenge us that we need to take initiative. We can seek out invitations or we can be the one that extends invitations. I also want to recognize the posture of allowing God to meet us where we're at. You know, God's love is not performative. There are seasons when we feel tension of the brokenness of community. That's so real. The loss of friends, leaders who have hurt us, or even conflicts or pain even within our spiritual leader community. We need to posture ourselves to use wisdom and to invite those we feel safe with and to help us discern together. There is no rush in this process. And the good news of this is that the invitation is always there. Number two, listen hard, speak softly. We can show up and practice engaged listening with one another. G.K. Chesterton quotes, there's a lot of difference between listening and hearing. We must be safe relational homes for one another. Look at it this way. In contrast, when we experience trauma, we experience suffering and pain alone. But in community, we can help name each other's emotions with specificity and hospitality. In community, we share not just how we are, but who we are. And we can practice a form of relational solidarity of being seen, heard, and known. Number three, Share openly and risk vulnerability. If you're like me, I have some huge pain and disappointment when in relationships of all kinds. And this has caused me sometimes to operate out of a distrust. And often I need my community and people to tell me how to be aware of that. I would challenge us to be open to sharing vulnerability as a means and way to rebuild trust. We can ask ourselves, are these, are these reasons why we're so guarded? What are they? Um, a word of wisdom and discernment here. <clears throat> Practicing this does not mean to do this without self-awareness. Okay, we don't necessarily need to overshare with everyone and anyone that we meet. <laughs> and I want to encourage us to start small and grow from there. You know, we may not always feel understood and comfortable. Actually, sometimes it's kind of awkward, but we go again. And we rely on the Holy Spirit's promptings and encouragement with community to keep going. So I also struggle at how this next point fits in, but I feel like it's really important for us. It's this concept of self-care. It's really important component of how to live well, but I want to share a bigger vision of how not to use self-care as an excuse not to engage and not to build tight-knit loving relationships. 
This kind of unhealthy view of self-care shows up when we place an overemphasis on the self as a means to solve and nurture and care for things that only the Holy Spirit can tend to. Now, self-care in and of itself is not evil. I would say it's important and to be watchful and aware how we can easily replace this practice of this, like caring of the self and continue to turn to isolation by detaching or coping from deeper issues that we cannot tackle on our own. I would even say an even broader vision for us as Christians is to think about the true goal, which is empowered Holy Spirit community care. Now for me, this shows up you know, in the light of the recent Asian American racist rhetoric and acts of violence in and among the AAPI community, hearing those things, seeing the news, reliving them, they're both so extremely personal and extremely heavy and extremely overwhelming. I think of my community so woven into my life that they left room for me for my self-care. They actually encouraged it. They nurtured those parts of my soul but they're also woven in a way that they lovingly guided me to continue to engage, to heal with me, to lament, to rest, and to seek new ways to follow God. Not only in my own isolation, but together. Now they were there to support me at rallies or when I'm sitting and crying or they're sitting with me in silence and they're there with me to pray. My self-care didn't just stop at my own world and perspective but it causes me to look outside of my own perspective and realize together we are able to continue to journey. Number four, root yourselves to stay. When it comes to community, especially when we have those seasons of pain and suffering, it is very easy to isolate and run. And here is we can practice the importance of obedience and faithfulness. We need the Holy Spirit's discernment and wisdom along with others who have earned permission to speak into your life with love, authority, and intimacy. This does not happen if you are moving or running around. And just a note here, not all relationships or friendships are meant to stay forever. (laughs) Of course, those that are abusive and toxic, we know that those need to end. But I want to normalize a natural progression that some friendships and relationships have ending seasons to. It's normal. And instead of being driven to the ending by pain or suffering, we actually stay connected to community to discern and make those decisions together. Our approach must be the ones that are ruggedly committed for the long haul. And I want to share with you about some ways to begin to cultivate these kinds of bonds together that we've reviewed. And in this series, we've been sharing a lot of community practices that we can engage in together. And here at Reality, we have so many types of invitations and opportunities for you to build these types of relationships. We have our Sunday gatherings where we get to meet some people. We have our serving opportunities and prayer teams. We have our courses and our community groups and many other different ways to be connected and to make connections. And we want to invite you to take steps and risks in the initiative. So we have a baseline and reach practices for each part of our series that where we can continue to challenge ourselves to grow. And I want to share with you both of those. So the baseline practices... Be a consistent part of a community group and begin to build relationships with people in our church, your workplace, 
and with your neighbors. And a reach practice. Let's get creative here, is that we can set up a standing call or meet up with your closest friends, maybe a weekly phone call or a monthly coffee date, where we're going to tell each other your life stories and make it a focus on sharing deeply the things you're tempted to keep hidden. You support one another practically, and you encourage one another's relationship with Jesus. Remember that we get to do life together, and it's a gift. In closing, I want to remind us that our invitation is to surrender our autonomy and bring glory into our tight-knit, loving relationships where we begin to be people of love. We get to be the people where our love is sincere. We hate what is evil together. We cling to what is good together. And we are devoted to one another in love and we honor one another above ourselves. In this, we get to love sincerely and not just for our own sake, but for the sake of others. Now, before I lead us in, uh, close us in prayer, I want to give us a few moments to sit in silence, and I would love to lead you guys in a reflection. So let's get comfortable where we can just close our eyes. Maybe reach out your hands in a posture or just where you can concentrate and be comfortable. I want us to orientate ourselves. Where are you this morning? And I want you to notice any strong emotion or thought that is coming up first. We can ask ourselves, did anything in particular strike us or stand out from this morning's message? Let's spend some time recognizing where we might be feeling an ache or pain. I want us to pay attention where there might be even aches of loneliness. Maybe what other emotions or thoughts might be coming to mind? Now holding those thoughts, we can ask, where is God? Can you recognize where he is? And if not, that's okay. I want to invite you to go ahead and have courage to ask him to show you where he might be. And lastly, we ask, what do you need right now? And offer that to him. And I want to offer that up with you, with to God. So let me pray for us time to close. God, you have created us to be connected. First, we are connected with you. Thank you for this way of being and design. Would you continue to make yourself known to us? And God, we trust you 
and believe that you desire good for us. Would you instill trust and show us ways we are invited to continue to trust you and trust those around us? God, I pray for those of you who are experiencing deep relational pain. I trust that, God, you are with them, ministering to them, and I ask for a blessing of instilled hope in you. And God, I pray for strength and bonds of relationships and friendships where we experience this sincere love and bonds like a family. I pray for continued strength in the ways we cultivate those. And Lord, I pray for invitations to become interconnected with one another. God, continue to instill in us joy, hope, patience, and let us be people ruggedly committed to love one another. Amen.